Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg as always, and today we're going to be talking about a couple of little stories, just a couple of littles. Not a whole lot going on that I wanted to talk about this week. Uh, and no, you're not going crazy. Yes, this is uploaded on Monday instead of the usual Tuesday. I actually have to work tomorrow, so I almost wasn't able to do a podcast at all. But we have a snow day today. So uh, I actually closed the store down, which um, rarely ever happens. Usually I've closed early. Um, rarely ever happens. Last year with the, the big blizzard of the end of April last year, we, uh, <laughs> we, we ended up closing for two days in a row which is pretty unheard of for me, but that, you know, I just don't typically like to be closed. And I, you know, I drove to the store this morning and I got there and the roads weren't great, but they weren't bad. And if I was open today, I probably would have been able to, I would have had business, you know? And and I thought about that on the way over and I, I didn't, I don't want to get lazy, right? I don't ever want to rest on my laurels as they say. And, and our business can be pretty competitive in town here and another town about a half hour away. There's some very competitive, there's a few you know, one or two really competitive stores to us. And you you, you got to stay on your toes, I guess, is what I want to say. So I don't ever want to like get too lax, right? Like I feel, and this sounds probably really arrogant, but if you've ever been to my store, I think you might agree. You know, I feel like my store sets the example of what other stores should want to be like. You know, we, we are essentially in the state, I feel, uh, have the largest selection and have the nicest looking store and, you know, have the nicest, uh, most courteous staff. Uh, and so, which is something we strive to do. We work very hard to do that. And it's not like it's something we do by accident. And that's why I take a lot of pride in it. Uh, but it, it, it brought me to an interesting thought, which was where, you know, cause I thought to myself, you know, well, should I stay home? Should I go? And I, I'm always, I always go to the store. Like worst case I'll get there and I'll be like, just stay here. I, and I really am in the middle of my tax time stuff. So I should be at the store today when it's slow and just doing all my tax stuff. But I'm like, just, I'll do it tomorrow. Um, always push it off, you know? And so that's all, you know, whatever and fine. And I just, I, I had this thought, like, are you, are you starting to slip a little bit? And th- this is not typical for the podcast here where I talk about this, but like I had, uh, when I left GameStop, it was a weird moment. Like I didn't necessarily leave on a very positive note. I wasn't terminated, but about two or th- about, about three months before I left, I almost got fired. And there's a line that always resonates with me. And I know it's cheesy, but it really resonates and it really describes what I'm trying to say here. And so there's a line where in uh, Dark Knight Returns, where Harvey Dent says something along the lines of, you know, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And I, I, I see that applied to a lot of different things, whether it's the Green Bay coaching staff, right? I think Mike McCarthy's an excellent coach, and I think he's going to go on to do more excellent coaching wherever he goes. But I think his time in Green Bay was up. I think after a while, you get kind of lax, you get in your routine, and, 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 and so it's time for a fresh start. And I think green Bay needed a reboot, you know, like they had been getting a little stale, not that they still weren't always in the hunt every year. And with a, you know, an all-star quarterback, you've always got that chance, but he's not good enough anymore to carry the entire team. He can carry half a team, but he can't carry an entire team, which is what they've asked him to do the last couple of years. Uh, in Aaron Rodgers, of course, I mean, and so getting back to it though, like I think of Mike McCarthy as a coach, it's time for him to move on. And then I think myself, the reason I brought this up at GameStop was because I had worked there 11 years. 
I was ready to be a lifer. In fact, I was in the program to become a district manager, which long story short, they kept dicking me around with it. It was actually quite frustrating. Like, you know, they kept telling I wasn't ready, you know, oh, you're not, you're not really ready to do the next step. You know, you're a good store manager, but you're not ready for the next step. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll just go from being a store manager instead of being promoted to a district manager, which is not a difficult job, people. Let's just be honest. You're just managing managers instead of managing other employees. And, and, and then, uh, you know, so it's not that hard of a job. Instead, I'll just go open my own business where I do everything myself. Okay, no problem. And I'm happier for it. So I don't have any, I don't hold any hard feelings or grudges or anything. But the reason I bring that up is because on a snow day like this, I think, what happens if I start getting a little lazier, right? And so say I don't go in today. Say what if tomorrow there's still like a drift in my driveway and I don't feel like shoveling out. So do I just say, eh, eh, we'll have a snow day today too. I don't ever want to get to that point. And I see a lot of business owners do stuff like that. You know, it's like, oh, we're closing for this holiday, closing for that holiday. We're closing early for this. Oh, we're closing early for that. And, and I, not that there's anything wrong with that. Is there a business? They can do whatever they want. But to me, I always felt like it's a slippery slope. And once you start to, the more you give into that, the more you want to give into it. Um, as an example, when I first opened the store, I worked roughly 70 hours a week. Roughly. I worked every day by myself. I worked, uh, we were closed on Sundays, but I worked Monday through Saturday, 10 hour days were when we were open. And then I was usually there a half hour to an hour before and after every day. So then I got my first employee and we were open on Sundays and then we were open and then he worked Sundays and Tuesdays. So I was off two days a week. So I was only working five days and I was working my 10 hour day. So I was working about 50 to 60 hours a week. And then uh, once I brought him on full time from part time, he was working four days a week. And then I went down to four days a week. I work four tens or four twelves, so I'm still getting in 40 to 50 hours a week, but it's just, you know, so I feel like, and now I feel like if one of those guys needs a day off and I have to work a fifth day, I just like, Oh my God, are you serious? I got to work a fifth day. This sucks. Like, Oh, it's the worst. This is the worst week ever. Oh, because it's, I, I've become accustomed to not working five days, you know, so, and, and not working six days. So it was, it was weird. So anyway, I, it's, it's a weird thing. Like with snow days for me is I, I don't, I don't want to get in the habit of this being a thing, but then as I'm driving there, it's almost a complete whiteout. You know, the winds whipping the snow like crazy. It's drifting all over a road. That's just been plowed is almost undrivable half hour later. And I'm just like, just go home. <laughs> like, you know, and so I make, I make the post and the night, last night I, I had the guys put up a sign in the window saying, if you see this sign, we're closed due to weather. So it was like a preemptive sort of sign and whatever. And so I'm just sitting there and I'm like, the sign's up, just go home, just go home. And like, don't feel guilty about that. And while I don't want to lose like the momentum and the steam I have, like I feel like these last eight years I've put my whole life into this and I've worked so hard to get it to where it is. I don't want to lose that. But on the flip side, I'm not scraping by anymore. And and there is something to be said for it. Like when you're scraping by, you're a little hungrier, you know, and, and you might work a little harder. You might sacrifice more things, you know, and I think I'm to the stage where I don't really need to sacrifice those things. I just got to make sure I'm holding on to the important things that make my store what it is. And so it, it's it's a weird thought though. And, and, and just something I had a thought on the drive to work today. So I thought I'd share it with all of you since we didn't have a ton of new stuff to talk about. I wanted to get a little bit, uh, a little bit more of it out there at least. So it's, it's just, you know, you, you learn a little bit more about Greggy, you know, you learn a little bit about me, a little bit more about how my brain works. You know, I'm a consummate professional. Uh, I like to have fun, um, obviously, but I'm a, I've always been a professional. In fact, it's why I didn't, you know, I, I got married a year and a half ago 
and I've been, you know, I've been with her now. It'll be four years come April. And, you know, there was a reason though I didn't date anyone before that because I was just so focused on my career and you're like, you always have time. And then all of a sudden 11 years goes by and you're like, where did the time go? And it's just, it's just crazy. So, uh, but I was at GameStop for 11 years. I have my own store now. We're going to go, April will be our eight year anniversary already. So it's going to be really, really interesting time for us. And, and, you know, I've come up with the, the, the increase, I've watched the increase of the retro game market go up and then I saw the boom and now I'm seeing the slow fizzle. Uh, so it's really interesting, um, to be able to look at something like that, like in an eight year experiment, you know, as opposed to just being like, Oh, I beat last year. I did this. Like I can look at eight years and say, here's the trends of all the prices. Like I can go back and see the price I sold everything I've ever sold for. I have records of every price it's ever sold at. So I can look back and say, Oh, Mario three used to sell for 20 to $25 all day. Now it's barely pulling 10 to $12 in the stores. And so, and now will that go back up? Probably maybe who knows, but it's, it's an interesting concept to kind of see. So anyway, I'm getting off tangent, but it's, I, I love the number side of it. That's, I think, what is helps me go and, like, what keeps me entertained is, is the number side of it. But with that being said, I want to talk a little bit about, <clears throat> let's see, let's start this thing off right. I got I to gotta kick it into gear here. And uh, so, anyway, that was my little intro deal, and then we're going to start the podcast here. Uh, so, you know, I do with my little YouTube video, so I'm going to give a quick little intro to the YouTube video, and I'll be back. In case you don't know, this actually isn't a cut. Like, I am doing this live. I do this whole podcast start to finish live. And unless there's something weird or like one of my cats jumps up and like shakes the table or like knocks something over and I have to lock her in the basement to get away from me for an hour of peace. Uh, otherwise, so when you when you hear me say like and here and here is our stories and then I cut out like that, like that is me literally doing that live. I don't I don't really cut it because it's more work. You know, I'm, I'm all about um, <laughs> working smarter, not harder. Uh, so with that being said, uh, I'm going to kick into our first story here about Metroid Prime 4 being uh, re- essentially uh, canceled and restarted. So first on the podcast today, we're going to talk about Metroid Prime 4 and Nintendo. And we're going to take this in maybe a little direction you may not think. But initially, we wanted to talk about the story, which is that Nintendo basically uh, uh, came out with a video saying, we want to talk to you about the development of Metroid Prime 4. And when you're like, okay, cool, Metroid Prime 4 update, you're expecting, hey, here's some video, here's how it's coming along, and they didn't have that. In fact, what they had was, we're canceling the game and starting over. And so at first, you're really taken aback, and like, whoa, 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 whoa. And so the story is, is that Metroid Prime 4 was being worked on, it's, it got, it's being remade. Now, it's being started over by the team that made the originals. So that helps lighten the the blow a little bit, right? Because you're like, well, you know, I was unsure about it anyway. Now it's coming back with this, uh, you know, with the original studio on board. You're like, okay, it's a little easier to absorb, right? And uh, which is funny because no one really knew who was working on Metroid Prime 4. Uh, There were some rumors that came out last February. uh, Rumors that it was Namco Bandai or Bandai Namco, however they go. I think it's Bandai Namco. And they had, uh, they were working on it their Singapore branch was working on it in coordination with one of their Japanese branches. And so you're like, okay, well, Bandai Namco has worked with Nintendo before on um, Pockin and on Smash for the Wii U. Like, they've they've helped them out before. They have relationships with the arcade games like Mario Kart and stuff like that. So it's not far-fetched that they would have a relationship together. And 
nothing so so you see that and you're like well it's probably not gonna be bad you know nintendo doesn't typically release or allow their first party titles to be put into the hands after the debacle that was the super nintendo era and cdi era of just bad games they typically keep their franchises very close to the chest as they should you know keep the quality high and so that's the only real that that's the only real proof we had was that it was metroid prime 4 bandai namco singapore and and so really we don't know anything else that that's what we knew there's a lot of uh a lot of speculation and whatnot but that seems to be that seems to be who was working on it well now if you don't remember the original studio that worked on the metroid prime series was Retro Studios. So I just pulled up their Wikipedia real quick. Obviously, it's a lot of text. I know it's boring to look at. But uh, we have here on their Wikipedia page, this is what they've been working on. So when they first started, now they had some canceled projects before they were given Metroid Prime. But Metroid Prime was their first release as a studio. They did Prime 1, 2, 3. Then they did the trilogy ported to the Wii. And then they did Donkey Kong Country Returns. This is actually, I think they just helped. It was developed. Yeah, it was developed by Retro. And then so they did... They did that. I think Mario Kart 7, they helped with the port. Like, this was developed by somebody else. And then, so then they worked on Donkey Kong Country Returns 3D. So the kind of the 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 addition from, uh, basically a 3DS port of the Wii version. And then they did Tropical Freeze, which was a, another Donkey Kong Country game for the Wii U. And then, nothing. So it brings up some interesting questions. Like, what has... First of all, how bad was the game? That's my first question. If somebody from Nintendo was having issues with this development, it had to be bad. And that's a good thing typically. Like, right, if your first statement should always be if if a game is bad and it gets canceled or rebooted, that's a good thing because that means that they're they're admitting that they have a problem and they're not just shoveling out some garbage that you know a Metro game would sell a ton. Now, um, it'll sell really well, and then you might hurt the property long term, though, right? So that's kind of the, 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 the whatever. And so that's my first question is, wow, how bad was it? And then I have to ask myself, okay, so Retro goes to it. Well, Retro is a one-game studio. They don't have hundreds of people working on multiple projects. They have one project at any given time. So the last thing that they officially put out was the Switch port of Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. So they ported the Wii U version to the Switch. Tropical Freeze came out in 2014. The Switch version came out in 2018. It doesn't take four years to port a game to the Switch. I mean, and obviously the Switch wasn't out or even announced at that point when the Wii U version came out. So <laughs> that, that's my two big questions. How bad was it? It was bad. And two, what has Retro been working on? And I saw an interesting tweet from someone. Unfortunately, I couldn't find it again. And it said something like, you know... Retro Studios is a one t is a one game studio. I wonder what happened to the game I was working on when I was there in 2015. So they were working on something else, and it's really disappointing because we'll probably never know what that was. And who knows? Obviously, if it got canceled, it was probably bad. And I hate to say that, but that's just the truth. It was probably bad. And so then you start to think, okay, well, I know Retro Studios gets a lot of love. Um, they get a lot of love from their fans because Metroid Prime, to a lot of people, is very excellent. I can't comment on the quality of the game. Personally, I just don't like Metroid being in a first-person shooter. I don't think it's... And I, I what I played to the first Prime, I didn't particularly like it. Uh, I thought it was just a first-person shooter with some mechanics and some stuff that, you know... Like, as far as a, as far as a Metroid game goes, I just felt like it was 
not a Metroid game. It wasn't my Metroid, you know, and that's fine. And people loved it. And that's great. And I'm, I'm glad they liked it. Um, Metroid Prime Trilogy, definitely the Wii controls added a lot to that game. Like the, the aiming was much, much better with that. So there, there's some good stuff here. But if you look at their list of accomplishments, Metroid Prime games, and then Donkey Kong Country, and that's it. I mean, that's really all they've done. And so I think to have complete and utter faith in them is a little worrisome. Not not only because they lost key people um, in in uh, of their development team. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, right here it talks about on February 28th, it was announced that Retro Studios were working on a new game. It had been in development for a few months since Tropical Freeze. However, in August 2015, during an interview with Metroid Prime Federation Force, Tanabe said that he was not quite sure about what Retro Studios was working on, leaving the impression that it was no longer involved with their unannounced project. So who knows what that was, again. Um, so I just don't think you can have infinite faith that they can make Metroid Prime 4 amazing. Is it probably going to be good? Yeah, because Metroid Prime 1, 2, and 3 all seemed really good. So you'd think as long as they stick to that formula. But like I said, they've lost key people in 2008 retro saw the departure okay so this is after this is after completion of metroid prime 3 before the port of trilogy to the wii u they lost three key developers mark pacini art director todd keller and principal technology engineer jack matthews so your designer your art director and your technology engineer <laughs> i mean kind of a big deal i'm just being honest kind of a big deal uh, and who knows, maybe it's because they were wanted to work on different games and Nintendo was like, no, we need this, we need that. And maybe they didn't want to work for that. And then they went on to form Armature Studio, which uh, they did like, they, they've done a lot of um, Vita ports. So they seem to be familiar with different hardware. So, and, and then I think they did uh, Black, uh, Blackgate, the Batman <clears throat> Arkham Blackgate. And so you look at this and I, that's all I'm trying to say is like, I'm not crapping on them. I don't think there's anything wrong with their studio. I'm just saying it's to put all your faith in them. Like they're one of the best studios around. I think is a little, I think it's a little quick to jump on that, especially since key people have left since the, the creation of the other Metroid prime games. So <laughs> with that being said though, uh, so that's just kind of the story, right? So, but it got reset and it got restarted and I think that's a good thing. So I want to say that. You don't ever like to hear it. And and I tweeted this out when I heard the news, but you know, it's always a good thing when it happens, but do you, I'm always surprised when it happens to a high profile Nintendo title. Usually like companies pitch games. I don't know if a lot of you will know this. People will pitch game concepts to companies all the time. There's probably four or five pitched Metroid games to Nintendo uh, over the last 10 years where people have made a working prototype, took it to Nintendo and said, we want to make a Metroid game, check out what we've got. And then they look at it and go, oh, we don't want to do that. Or, oh, that looks really good. Or, oh, we already have one in the works or something, right? Something will happen. And so, you know, there's a lot of people that can that can have the, uh, the ability to work on these things. And, and it's not just this studio, um, you know, or whatever. So with that being said, it's a good thing. Let's be happy. Let's be happy for uh, apparently them seeing that it was broken before fixing it. And there is a a, a very good quote. I know I'm I'm spacing on. It. I'll just um you know I'll roughly quote it here. But it's something like you know like a a, a bad game released as a bad game forever. It's a Shigamira a Shigira Miyamoto quote. Um, you know, let's just look it up because. I don't want to quote it wrong. Um, but basically, 
Yeah. So basically, a delayed game is eventually good, but a rushed game is forever bad. You know, that's and that's a great quote. That's a great design philosophy. Now, that probably comes back from the old Nintendo days, though, where there weren't things like online patches. And and as we've seen, you know, the world um, has changed in far of being able to deliver content so you can buy a game that's incomplete and they can complete it later. In fact, that's a business model now is they give you essentially an incomplete game and have you buy expansions later and buy DLC later. It's a pretty standard practice. Um, but then I came across this article and, uh, and this actually kind of bothered me a little bit and, and it goes to an interesting subset of Nintendo fans that are kind of willing to accept anything. So anywho, this was the headline IGN two days ago, Nintendo's honesty around Metroid prime four sets an important standard. Nintendo has set a good precedent for publisher transparency moving forward. Lucy O'Brien. Uh, in a surprising twist this morning, Nintendo made an incredibly transparent announcement. Develop on, on Metroid Prime 4 had halted and was about was to begin again under Retro Studios, the United States developer of the original games. In a statement delivered by Shinya Takahashi, Nintendo's general manager of planning and development, we learned that although Nintendo found it very regrettable, the company didn't feel the current progress of Metroid Prime 4 was up to the standards of the series. Even though the news was a bummer for fans eagerly anticipating its release, the reaction has still been overwhelmingly positive. As of this writing, the statement on YouTube is sitting at 63,000 upvotes with only 2,000 downvotes, which isn't a lot for a video that includes the word regrettable. On Twitter, fans are calling Nintendo's honesty refreshing. Now this is how you treat your customers, wrote Twitter user at Peeper Deeper. Transparency and decency, wrote at JL Leskas. Um... They go on to say the statement would be candid for any company, but especially so for Nintendo, a notoriously tight-lipped, impenetrable company that's rarely willing to invite us into its processes. It feels like a remarkable turnaround and one that fans are talking to. Not every company communicates with its fans as openly and honestly as Nintendo has in this instant. It's hard not to think of Blizzard's disastrous announcement of the mobile game Diablo Immortal at last year's BlizzCon. Uh, let's see. And then it goes on to say leading to BlizzCon's fans were very vocal about their expectation for a new chapter in the Diablo franchise. Uh, and then a little bit further down, uh, it's not just the fans who benefit more from transparency while it makes them feel valued and respected outside of a tired marketing spin. It also reminds them that games are made by humans and humans can be fallible. Having a grasp of this lends to a more compassionate audience. I'm all for making things more transparent so that people understand that it's not just machines making a game, but real human beings that have goals and that features take time and aren't just tied to a switch that can be turned on at will said a developer working in a triple a space in an IGN interview last year who will call Andy. And I'm going to stop reading from the article there for a bit because I want, to, I want to cover some of this in here. And if you've never watched one of my videos before and you're seeing this, and if you think I'm about to put Nintendo on blast, like, I appreciate if you just listen to the whole thing. If you want to give me a downvote, I don't care about thumbs downs in my videos because a lot of my stuff is opinion based. But at least listen to the whole thing and like try to understand what I'm saying. And if you disagree, I'd love to talk to you about it in the comments. So please leave me one. Um, however, so what I really like about this right away, the first thing, that I really like is that it says it helps make customers feel valued and respected outside of a tired marketing spin. Uh, that's very true. You know, it's kind of the same thing in the NFL when a player just goes up there and it's like, Oh, you know, you really, you really crushed them bad. You know, you beat them by, uh, by 30 points. You know, how does that make you feel? And they're like, Oh, they're a great football team. And, and, and there's so many great talented players over there. We're just lucky that we did a good job. You know, like, like there's, there's like a corporate speak. They're trained. I mean, there's PR people that talk to these people. So you purposely don't make mistakes, but then you lose a sense of real, to it I suppose I would say like there's, there's a loss of like what's actually happening 
And so I like this. I like that it it does it does. And, and for a company like Nintendo, made um, you know Lucy makes a very good point in this article. Nintendo is more quiet than most companies. They're less transparent than almost anyone. So it is nice to see that. <clears throat> to me, it's very nice to see. Um, you know, Nintendo come out of their shell a little bit and just be candid with their customers. Now, part of this might have been because of what's happened in the past with other bad PR moves, and they didn't want to have that. I mean, if they had just come out and said, like, if they just didn't talk about Prime 4, you'd be festering, like, uh, like a negative attitude with your customers. And so they just came right out and said, like, hey, this game is now a couple years away still. We know we showed you the teaser. We were hoping to have a teaser, and we don't. So sorry, you know, here's what it is. And so they came out, and they were really honest about it. However, what I don't like about this article is I don't like comparing it to Activision Blizzard, and I don't like comparing it to Diablo Immortal. One, because Diablo Immortal's only problem was that they they just didn't anticipate their crowd, and they didn't anticipate the announcement falling on deaf ears for the people that would attend that kind of conference. So it was a PR misstep, no question. But to act like... A lot of those people wouldn't be interested in that game or to act like Diablo 4 isn't being worked on seems silly. Now, yes, could they have come out and been more transparent and said, you know, like, could they have done what what Nintendo did when they just showed a video and just showed Diablo and then just have the Roman numeral four and then nothing like Elder Scrolls did that, too, with Bethesda, Elder Scrolls six. All they show is a logo with like flying over some mountains and everyone's like, what? Oh, my God, it's amazing. Like, no, it's not. It's just words. But OK, no problem. But I have a problem with this because oftentimes, other times, come on, kitty cat, um, oftentimes, other times, we're not so forgiving of this sort of thing happening. The perfect case right here is Activision Blizzard. Did they make a PR snafu? Yes. But where was the article from Lucy O'Brien on IGN about, you know, Activision Blizzard is a company made by a game. Diablo Immortal is a game made by real people. And these people are fallible and marketing people are fallible. And that, you know, this is a good thing uh, that, that, it, that they made the announcement this way. And, this, and they're real people, so don't treat them that way. That article does not exist. Articles exist, um, and I can't say by Lucy O'Brien because I don't follow her specifically, but I would say, like, how many articles came out that said Blizzard sucks, Activision Blizzard's dead, um, the Diablo announcement's garbage, Diablo Mortal sucks, the YouTube video has m way more thumbs down than thumbs up, and it's terrible. So everyone's crapping all over it. Not a single article came out to say, hey, hey, everybody, they're people. They're nice people. There's people working on this game. Like, don't be so crazy and rude about it. Is it because it's Activision Blizzard? Because that company has a negative stigma already attached to it? I mean, is that kind of what's happening here? It, it feels like it. It feels like Nintendo always gets a pass. Why does Nintendo always get a pass as a company? Well, I guess really it's because of their fans. Their fans are the ones that are going to give them a pass. And and that's fine, you know? And, and, and like I say this all the time, and I've said this many times before, there's nothing wrong with criticizing something that you love. There's nothing wrong with that. If you're realistic about the critique about something you love, that can only help you enjoy and help make the product better in the end, I feel. I love Metal Gear. Metal Gear is my all-time favorite franchise. I have played it since the original came out on NES. I didn't have an MSX computer, but you know what I mean? The NES port I played, and I've played everyone since. It captured me. I love the story. I love it. I love um, Kojima is my favorite game developer. I, 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 I love everything Metal Gear. Like One day I'll do a walkthrough in my room, and you'll see, I mean, I have figures i have statues i have original art pieces i have uh, autographed memorabilia um 
from Kojima, I have that stuff because that's how much I love the series. Metal Gear Solid 5, while an amazingly controlling open world game, the narrative stunk. And the, the story was terrible. And for people that love that game because of the story, it was lacking. And so just because I'm a huge Metal Gear fan, I love everything Metal Gear, I don't give them a pass on that. I critique it. And, and hopefully my critique will lead to a better you know, process later on. With Metal Gear, probably not. Because it's as far as we know, it's dead in the ground. And Konami has no interest in bringing it back. And Kojima's obviously not there anymore. So it is what it is. But that's it's okay to critique things. That's, that's my point. Okay, that's it. It's okay to critique things. Don't need to get crazy about it. So Nintendo, people a lot of times don't like to critique Nintendo. And and I feel like, and, and I, I actually agree with Lucy on this article. I feel like this is a good thing that it got delayed. I think it's okay to look at and say, well, I'd like to know more info. I'd like to know everything I want to know. I'd like to know why it was, like, I'd love to see a prototype, love to see this stuff, but they're not going to be that transparent. And so I love this article. I really do for the most part. I love her attitude, which is, you know what? Let's let's forgive this company. Let's not jump up on them. The fans are reacting positively. So then the press react positively. Now, a very similar story broke a couple weeks ago. I covered it on the podcast even. That EA was rebooting their single player Star Wars game. And that drove everyone nuts. It's the exact same instance as this. And I have to give a little bit of credit to this uh, to uh, Michael from the Retro... Damn it, I always forget. The, the Retro Game Fix podcast. So check them out. He's on Twitter, at Retro Game Fix. So he, he tweeted this out, and it really resonated with me. And it, it makes total and 100% sense. But that story, like, where were all the people saying, oh, you know, it's it's a good thing that this Star Wars game got rebooted and made differently, and it's 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 good that it was bad, and now they're going to fix it and make it better. Now, I know the first thing people are going to say is they changed the core of the game. They went from a single-player game to a game that's going to have some sort of microtransactions. Well, that's a, that's a leap that we're making based off of what they said, which was that they're, they want games more aligned with their business model, which, and then everyone looks at it and goes, well, their business model is like microtransactions typically, so we're going to jump to that conclusion. And we don't know behind the scenes. We don't know, like I, I talked about on my podcast before, we don't know if, we don't know if Star Wars, if, if Disney is like ready to pull the Star Wars license from EA for lack of creating titles. We don't know that. So maybe they couldn't have a four-year Star Wars game as their flagship. Maybe they ha And they have Respawn working on one that's supposed to be out at the end of this year. Maybe they had to have three games in the next two years or something. Now, is that a good reason to rush out a game? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that there could be other circumstances. So where were the outpouring of articles? This is my point, if it's been taking me a while to wrap around to it. Where is the outpouring of support for EA Vancouver? for rebooting Star Wars and for, for scrapping Star Wars 1313 because maybe it wasn't good. People look at the concept art and act like they knew the game was going to be good. This is something I've seen a lot because I've played quite a few canceled games. My time with GameStop, um, I played. I would go to a manager conference and I would play demos of games that were supposed to come out that would sometimes ultimately get canceled. Most most notably, I played StarCraft Ghost, um, which... which I'm very happy to say I got to play. It's very, It was very cool to try that game. There's a reason why that game got canceled. And every time I see an article where it's like, you know, the top 10 games that got canceled that we'd still love to play, like I hate those articles because for the most part, those games got canceled because they weren't good. And to be fair, StarCraft Ghost wasn't bad. It just wasn't good. And Blizzard was trying to maintain some sort of quality control over their products. 
when StarCraft Ghost got canceled, where were all the articles outpouring about let's support them and let's, you know, no, you don't see that. You see that, you know, you see fans upset that they didn't get the game that they wanted. And so, okay, you know, so then I look at these scenarios, I look at the Star Wars cancellation, and there were no outpouring of, of, of this for EA. And I look at the Activision Blizzard state, there's no outpouring of, hey, you know, <laughs> uh, for Activision Blizzard, nobody's coming to their defense. But Nintendo fans and the and the press in general, they are they're they're very forgiving of Nintendo. And and again, I want to stress, I think we should be. And I think what they're doing with Metroid Prime 4 is a good thing. However, why why do they get a pass? You know, what what is it what is it about our games journalism, our games media, and the the big companies, like the expectation is that EA and Activision are gonna screw you. So when something bad happens, they screwed you. The expectation is that Nintendo's all about the fans, right? That they're that they're just, you know, like uh, now this is how you treat your customers. Wrote Twitter user at Peeper Deeper. That's a quote from the article I just read, right? Now this is how you treat your customers. Is this also how you treat your customers when you sell Donkey Kong Jungle Freeze at sixty dollars when it's twenty dollars on the Wii U? Is this is this is this how you treat your customers when you port New Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe to the Switch? For sixty dollars, like like that, that's this that's it's just a hypocrisy that is a little frustrating to me, and so I'm just trying to I'm about consistency. If you want to be very forgiving, as I think we should be when something like this happens in the video game industry, you have to then have that same attitude towards everybody. You can't be like, well, I'll be nice about Nintendo when they cancel, but if EA or Activision or Sony does it, screw them. They're trying to screw us. They hate their customers. That's just that's just a bad take, you know. I'm sorry, it's just it's a bad take, and uh, and you should really rethink that. You know, hypocrisy is one of the worst offenses to me. Like if if you're gonna if you're gonna have a conviction, and I'm not saying you can't change, okay. I'm not. That doesn't mean that if you said something five years ago and you say something different now that you're a hypocrite. That's not what I mean. But if you're gonna say something now and then a week later say something that contradicts what you said before because it might be a different company or it might be a different standard or a different console that you like then that's a problem, I think. And that's that's hypocrisy. It's what it is. And again, like I always say in here, we need to be better than that. We need to be more educated than that. We need to be smarter. And we need to, you know, and I'm not saying you don't have to work this out in your head. Like, I had to work through this too. Like, at first, my, my initial plan was, oh, this is juicy, man. This is bad. No, 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 it's actually good. And then you have to think about it. Read multiple articles. See multiple perspectives. Wrap it back around. So anyway... Metroid Prime 4 being canceled and then rebooted by the original team, it's a good thing. I'm excited to see where that team takes it. But putting all my faith in that studio that's that's down a few members from the original three games that came out, including three key people, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's another one of those wait and sees. And, I, and for every Metroid fan out there that wants this game to be amazing, I hope it is. I hope it is for you. I really do. I don't get any enjoyment out of a game coming out and disappointing its fans. Like, I don't love that. While I don't care much for this game, it doesn't bother me that other people like it. <laughs> you know? Good. I hope it is good, and I hope you love it. And I hope it's as good as they want it to be. And I hope that everyone who spends their hard-earned money on it is happy with what they get. Man, that's a wild story. Um, It's... So... After after I'll put that video up, you know, usually if there's a little bit of a break there, that means that's where I cut the video. I am going to get destroyed on that video. If 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 it gets more than you know 100 to 200 views, which it probably won't. If it does, 
I'm going to get crushed on that by trying to compare Nintendo to Activision and to EA. People are going to say I'm crazy. Nintendo fans are, are kind of unbelievable. And, and I, I have a Switch, okay? I like the Switch. I play mine occasionally. It's fine. I have no problem. I'm glad I bought it. I don't regret it. I don't regret it as much as I regret buying the Wii U. You know, I feel like I've already gotten more use out of my Switch than I did on my Wii U. But Nintendo fans, like, you can't criticize anything. Nintendo. They, and they, they act like everything that comes out is the greatest thing that's ever come out. And I know, you know, Michael, if you're listening from Retro Game Fix, I mean, like, you make a fair point, man. Like, you say all the time that, you know, these ports that come out, people people are sitting on games that came out 10, 15 years ago that are awesome, and they never played. But now that it's on the Switch, they'll jump right on it because it's a Nintendo game. Now that it's a Nintendo game, they can finally enjoy it, you know? I, it just makes no sense to me. It makes no sense to me. This blind loyalty to a company makes no sense to me. And I'm not saying if a company's not good, you don't support them. Of course you do. But to, to, I, what, what sense does that make? It doesn't make any sense. Um, but it, I don't know. It, 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 you know, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. It's so stupid. And I don't understand. Like, I, I, I've said this before on the podcast, right? And, and one term I don't like is the term gamer. Now, most people... Most people are like, why, why are you so like snooty stuck up about it? To me, it's just ingenuous. Like if somebody walks up and goes, Hey, Oh, oh you play games. You're a gamer. It, it makes me cringe. I don't know why it's just, it's probably because I've always tried to maintain while I appreciate the gamer culture. I always try to maintain what do I want to say. I always try to maintain like a certain cool factor to it. A certain chill fact, maybe chill factor is better. Right. So like, yes, I love my hobby. I will geek out with people. No problem. But I don't, that's not all I talk about. It's not all I geek out about. And, and, and it's not coming off as elitist. It's just like, know your place. Like, like if you're sitting at Starbucks, like I don't have an overly loud conversation about Star Trek movies, you know? I mean, just, (laughs) it's just, just chill a little bit, you know, don't be so thirsty when it comes to your hobby, man. Just chill out a little bit. And so people, you know, talk about the term gamer. And, and so I try not to use that too much. However, and I, and I feel like I'm constantly sticking up for people who play games. You know, I'm, I'm constantly saying, no, they're smarter than that. They're better than that. They're not going to fall into these tropes. And then every time I say something like that, like another case comes out that essentially proves me wrong. And, and, and they prove me wrong in the sense that they, they do something ridiculous or they'll, they'll allow this company just to like smack them around financially but when this other company does it, they're trash and, and you should ban them and that company should go bankrupt to the worst. But I love this company, so just, you know, beat me up. You know, beat me up financially. Just take all my money. Take my wallet and spit in my mouth. It's whatever. <laughs> just hold me down and fart in my face on the playground. It's fine. I like you. You're the cool kid. I just want you to like me. <laughs> um, You know, I don't know. It, it, it's... It's just weird to me, man. It's a weird time where I feel like more than ever we're, we're corporate junkies. And, uh, you know, me, I just like what I like, you know. And, and I, I look at my game wall as I'm talking to you all here. And, like, I've got game, I've got Nintendo, Super Nintendo, N64, GameCube, Wii, Wii U, and Switch games. And I've got Genesis, Mesh System, Sega CD games. And I've got PS1, PS2, PS3, PS4 games. And I've got Vita games. And I've got DS, 3DS, and G- Game Boy, Game Boy Advance games. Like, I just look for good games. I like games that are good. I don't care who makes them. 
Like if Microsoft came out next generation and had the hottest exclusives, if Microsoft came out next year and had the exclusive Spider-Man game, you damn sure I'm going to be buying a system for it and playing it on that system. You know, it is what it is. Um, but anyway, uh, moving on, the next story I'm going to talk about, and I'm not going to... I'm not going to cut this down to a video, so we'll just keep rolling into it. But since we were talking about Microsoft, I came across an interesting article on Kotaku yesterday by Zach Zwiezen. And uh, he talked about a Reset Era forum. The user was NL, Spent a lot of time putting together a comprehensive list of stats and data about the Xbox One backwards compatibility. And I think it's fair to say that... The Xbox One, the main thing it has up on Sony this generation, which, I, you know, I do prefer PlayStation. I'm trying to be, like, diplomatic here. But Microsoft has, they've been spending a lot of this generation laying the groundwork for next generation. I think that's fair to say. They're planning ahead of the future because they know that this generation wasn't their strongest. Not that they lost. I'm not a big fan of saying, like, winners and losers. Like, if you if you don't lose a shitload of money, then you don't, you're not a loser in any system war. Um, because system wars are stupid again, manufactured marketing. However, it's, it's fair to say that the one thing they really did this generation, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, but what they really did this generation to stand apart from the rest was one was game pass and two was backwards compatibility, which kind of works through game pass, uh, as well. So I, I love backwards compatibility. I've always have, and I always will. And, a lot of people, you know, don't know this, but obviously if you look at, let's look at Sony real quick. PlayStation 1 comes out, PlayStation 2 comes out, plays PlayStation 1 games. PlayStation 3 comes out, plays PlayStation 2 and PlayStation 1 games. Then they have to cut costs because the system's incredibly overpriced and, and not worth the money. And it's a, not, a, and it's an economic downturn. Those things combined equal and Sony's strategy of being a multimedia device instead of being a game machine uh, and trying to be overcomplicated with the cell processor, get all that junk out of here. It was it was the perfect recipe for a, a struggling to for a console to struggle out the gate, which it did uh, badly. The 360 stole so much market share from Sony in the first three or four years of that of that generation. It's unbelievable how Sony had such a grip on it and they just just gave it up. They just they just fumbled the ball. And so then, even though they took out the PS2 backwards compatibility, all PS3s still play PS1 games. So if you don't know that and you have a PS3 and you want to play PS1, play it on your PS3. They even have like some smoothing options and stuff, and you make internal memory cards on your hard drive. It's great. It's a great way to play PS1. Playing through HDMI, it looks super sharp. Um, and then the PS4 comes out, and it's not backwards compatible at all. And 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 that really sucks. But at least that makes sense in in regards to the PlayStation 3 was so different that. The PlayStation 4 went back to this more traditional processor archetype, which was this like x86. So it's easier to make games for a machine like that than it was for this cell processor where developers didn't know what cell was supposed to do what processing and only like ports were really bad from 360 to PS3. It wasn't great. And that's fine. So the PlayStation 4 wasn't backwards compatible at all, even though it easily could have emulated PS1 and PS2. In fact, they released PS2 games for purchase on the store. So you know it's possible, but obviously work has to go into that. They didn't do it. Microsoft, though, has been killing it with their backwards compatibility. And I wanted to give you guys some numbers because it's just interesting to me. And, and I think it's kind of neat. So this is the this is the forum post from uh, Morrow and L uh, on Reset Era. So um, let's see. Total number of backwards compatible titles. There are 538 Xbox 360 titles. 
there were a total of 2,103 Xbox 360 titles released. That includes digital and physical. So ba roughly right now, 25.58% of the Xbox 360 library is backwards compatible. So you look at that and you're like, oh, 25% is not very high, but 538 games is pretty good. <laughs> and so there's nothing wrong with that. Um, let's see. Uh, or there are 1,900 Xbox 360 games if you exclude Kinect and peripheral-based games like uh, fishing controllers, Guitar Hero games, stuff like that. So that then ups it to 28.32%. There are 33 original Xbox titles that are backwards compatible with the Xbox One out of a possible 1,047 original Xbox titles. So roughly 3% of original Xbox games are backwards compatible. But that's original Xbox and, you know, so that's not a great number, but they're working on it. And I think 33 original Xbox titles is awesome. And I love the way Microsoft does it too. I have no problem with you popping the disc in and then it downloading the game to your system and you just have to have the disc in for it to recognize. That's amazing to me. That That is not wear and tear on the disc drive then. That's all good stuff. I have no problem with that. Um, and, and they go on here with some more. There's some more numbers too. Like, um, So in 2015 from mid-November launch, um, it was 121. And then 2016, there was 188 games released by year 2017 is 149 2018 is 105 2019 was eight up until january 27th so they're just kind of breaking down uh you know like how many games were released per year backwards compatible and that's pretty cool man i mean look at the virtual console when it first came out for the wii i was so disappointed when like every week they'd release like two games it's like man this sucks like we're seriously only gonna get eight games a month you know, and it took forever, and some months were better, and some weren't. But hi, kitty cat. My cats are being they're being moopy. Um, and uh, yeah, so I don't know. You know, I find this interesting. I think it's really cool when you think of how many games are backwards compatible, and you look at the the total amount. It's pretty neat. And they seem to keep adding more and more as time goes on. And and Microsoft again is laying the groundwork to have this be the way it is going forward. When they do their next system, all these games will be backwards compatible because they're just going to be on the store. You know, like this, this, I mean, it, they should be, I should say licensing issues aside. And so this is really interesting stuff. And, and Microsoft is laying the groundwork to do some really interesting things. Next generation, your only hope. And this is why people always say that competition is good for the consumer. Your only hope is that Sony's watching this and going, you know what? We have to be better with backwards compatible because it's something that we're not doing as good as they are. And, um, yeah. And, and so hopefully that is something that, uh, that ends up happening. I'd love to see that, uh, I'd love to see Sony do a strong backwards compatible PS1, PS2, and most likely PS4, since the PS3 most likely just won't happen. And it sucks. Like, I, I love to, unless Sony somehow in-house created some sort of software, like, I don't even want to say an emulator, but some sort of, like, software gap where it could it could run. Essentially, it would be an emulator, but somehow could get that emulation running to run PS3 games. It just won't happen. It's a really unfortunate, too, because the PS3 has a ton of great games, but... It's always going to be as kind of that weird left out one, I think, because it's, it's it, even now, like people have a hard time emulating it on very strong PCs, um, mostly because uh, like when they do it with a specific game like Demon Souls apparently is working great. But most games like until it's fully optimized, it's really, really rough. And then lastly, today, I want to talk about Resident Evil 2, the remake that just came out on Friday. Uh, and this is going to be pretty spoiler heavy. So just a heads up, everybody spoilers. If you have not played resident evil two, and if you didn't play the original and you don't know the story hits and you don't want to know the story hits, then 
you can end the podcast here. This is the last story of the day, but I want to talk about my experience with, with uh, Resident Evil 2 and how much I've been just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying this game and what I hate about it too because I actually hate some things about it too. Um, so I'm going to try playing this trailer in the background. We'll just kind of see how it goes. So Resident Evil 2 um, is about the best remake, remaster, reimagining you could ask for. It captures the nostalgic feelings, it updates the controls, and obviously, graphically, it's incredible. Um, so, I'm playing through the game, and I'm really, really loving it. And I'm happy, I've I just finished a Leon's campaign, and I'm working through Claire's B game. If you don't know how Resident Evil works, it was actually a really neat mechanic back in the day, but... Uh, and I found out recently that this actually was a mistake. They didn't have to do this, but they had two discs for PS1. There was a Claire disc and a Leon disc. Um, you pop in Leon's disc. Once you beat Leon's game, you got a save file that would let you open up Claire's B game. So if you play as Leon or as you play as Claire in their A game, the game is roughly the same with some different story bits. Like, for instance, uh, Claire has Sherry Birkin help her out and Leon has Ada Wong help him out in different scenarios. Kind of like how in the original Resident Evil, Jill had Barry and Chris had Rebecca Chambers. And so you have um, you have that sort of dynamic, but the, the games are essentially the same. The B game, however, though, attempted to try something a little different, and it had it as you playing as the character while the events were going on of the other player. Instead of it being a similar game, it was almost like we're going to we're going to change it up a little bit and have you play as something else. And so it's really cool, and it's really fun. So it's almost like there's four different games to play in Resident Evil 2. Well, they carried that tradition on in this one, so I'm playing... Right now I'm playing... Leon's I played Leon's A game I'm playing Claire's B and then I'll start a Claire's A game and then play Leon's B and it's all good man it's really really fun I love the game however there's one thing that bothers me a little bit and I'm playing the game on normal I don't play an assisted I'm playing on normal um ammo shortage is a real thing and I know the when I first say that diehard Resident Evil people will be like dude it's survival horror that's how it works you know you, you're always hunting for ammo I totally understand that and I have skipped many zombies, and I have run past many enemies, and I still am struggling for ammo. A lot of the ammo in this game, they locked behind puzzles and, like, finding a roll of film and then developing it and then using that film to find out the combination to a lock, and then you get ammo that way. So they did that a little interesting, um, you know, a little more interestingly than they had in the past. And let's see if we can kick this on again. And so there was a... Uh... There we go. Um, just want to get this video rolling so you guys can stare at something while I'm jibber-jabbering on. And, uh, so it's really good. Uh, I like it a lot. Um, I like the style of it, but I don't like running out of ammo. So I, I've been more conservative in my other playthroughs. Uh, however, the one thing I guess I have to say I dislike the most, and again, this is a spoiler, so I've said it before, but if you don't want any story spoilers, stuff like, like, please bounce. But in Leon's A game now, not even halfway through the game, Mr. X shows up. Now, Mr. X is basically the tyrant kind of character of this game like there's also William Birkin who, who's also the tyrant but Mr. X essentially is like this big bad guy who's hunting you down the whole game now if I remember correctly and I might be wrong if I'm wrong please correct me in the comments but I remember from Resident Evil 2 Mr. X not showing up until the B game he was like like in the first game you were going against uh, uh, William Birkin and you had other things going on and then Mr. X doesn't show up until you play the B game he was like a, an extra surprise in that in this game he shows up like a quarter of the way through 
and he's nonstop annoying and chasing you through the whole game. And 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 I as much as I love this game, th- this is as far as I can calculate in my head what's actually going on. Is that it seems like fear used to be jump scares, it used to be mood settings, it used to be weird camera angles so you couldn't see what was about to jump out at you. But now like they seem to have upped the level of fear by upping the level of anxiety. So Mr. X is running around. You can hear him stomping all over the place. You always know he's at least a a couple rooms away. And then sometimes I'll be watching where I think he's going to come out and he straight up comes from behind me. Like they, they, they did a very good job of that, but I'm not a big fan of anxiety. I have a lot of my anxiety as it is. I don't really like it when games, um, (laughs) I don't really like it when games are, are twisting that, uh, anxiety and like, like making it work for them. But there were parts of this game where I didn't have him around and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed his, uh, you know, uh, the other parts of the game where I felt like I could take my time. And one of the issues I had was that I like to look around. Like once I've cleared a room of zombies or cleared a room of enemies, I like to know that I can go there anytime, take my time and look around. Well, this game, because you feel like you're constantly being chased, you just don't feel like you have that same time to look around. And so I know I missed a lot of stuff my first playthrough because I was so worried about him chasing me all the time. And it was so I I had such high anxiety over it that it frustrated me. Um, And so I missed a lot of stuff. Now, the second time and when I play through the A game again, and I'll probably do Leon's again just so that I can get everything I want. Uh, I'll do things a lot differently and I'll kind of know how the systems work. But that first time, it's just, oh, it's very, the anxiety's there. And it, it, it made me a little uncomfortable playing it, which not that I'm expecting a horror game to make me feel nice and warm and fuzzy inside, but uh, especially like Resident Evil, my favorite part was knowing what rooms were safe. And then there are always a few twists, but knowing what rooms are safe, knowing what I could get away with and, and pull off. So it is very good though. Um, they changed just enough to make it feel fresh and to have changes. And then they didn't change enough and they kept it just enough the same so that an, a longtime fan like myself would still recognize things and love it. I mean, graphically, it's awesome. It's an amazing time. It's like the like the best selling Capcom game, I think, on Steam or fastest selling some of that. It's just great. So excellent work to Capcom. And they seem to have really figured out something, which was don't put your best franchise in the hands of other companies and, and untested studios. You have to know who's going to be working on your game and, and like trust them to an extent, but watch them. And now with Capcom doing so much internally, like these games are outstanding. Uh, and now the only real question is what do you prefer next? Would you rather have a remake of Dino Crisis, a remake of Resident Evil three or Resident Evil eight? And that's a tough question. I don't know if I could answer. Uh, I'll take all three, please. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, um, it, it's a great time. Capcom has made this unbelievable correction over the last probably three years or so, they've just really been killing it. And, and like, they've been, they've been fixing everything and they've been just, I don't know. It's great. They've been repairing it. They've been, they, they've been taking their franchises that were mistreated and they're, they're getting them back to the high quality level that we'd expect from them. And that is it for the podcast today. Um, you know, my game of the week is going to be Resident Evil two. So, uh, no need to talk about anything else. Because quite frankly, Resident Evil 2 is awesome. You should go buy it uh, if you have the means to play it. It is fantastic. If you don't like playing scary games and you don't like the idea of the anxiety, then just go ahead and watch a playthrough um, or watch somebody play it live. Uh, but it's, it is a lot of fun. Um, it brought back much joy and much anguish 
like I said, there's a lot of anxiety there more, more than I was expecting and more, almost enough where it almost enough where it, um, got to me a little bit, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's good. And I hope that this trend continues now. I'm okay. And a lot of people will criticize, you know, remakes and remasters. And, and if you listen to the other podcast, you heard me talk about how Nintendo charging $60 for new Super Mario Brothers U on the Switch, that's quite different from something like this. And I can't stress that enough. If you think that Resident Evil 2 Remake is the same as a port of the Wii U, which is essentially just a, a remaking, a port of the Wii version of Super Mario Brothers, then we're on different wavelengths for our understanding of the industry. This game was built from the ground up using the Resident, the new Resident Evil engine, uh, revoice acted, reanimated. This is built from the ground up. This is a $60 game. This is an experience worth $60. Porting old Wii U games that were selling for $20 and then selling them for 60 is not the same thing. And, and I, it's, I really hope that, uh, that, uh, I don't have to explain that to anybody else because it's, it's, it just doesn't work. So with that being said, thank you as, as always, everybody for listening and watching. If you were watching on YouTube, um, if you're on YouTube and you prefer this in podcast form, you can uh, go to the iTunes app, podcast app, search for game talk radio, look for the little Sprite with the game trade logo on the breast. Uh, if you're listening to this on iTunes, but you sometimes like just to hear individual stories, or if you like to watch what I'm looking at on YouTube, then you can go to youtube.com slash drop rate. That is our, uh, that is our YouTube channel, me and the boys. And, uh, we're, we're, we're inching closer to that 4,000 subs. We're about, I want to say about 70 away now. So just keep inching and inching. It's, uh, it's been, it's been a hell of a journey these last uh, year and a half getting up that high. And, and we just hope to keep getting more and I'll keep doing this if you all keep listening. So easy, easy as that. Uh, but thank you again, everybody for always listening and watching. I appreciate all your comments, all your suggestions. Um, if you want, you can send us like you can send user submitted questions. I'd love to start answering these and I don't know how to get enough outreach out there yet to be able to get enough questions to do this every week, but I'd love to do a mailbag episode. You can email us at uh, dropratetest at gmail.com. That's going to be our drop rate email, dropratetest at gmail.com. Shoot me some, or you can private message me on Twitter. I'm at GameTradeGreg. That's Greg with two Gs at the end. Uh, send me a DM. Uh, if you follow me and you don't have a, a ton of horrible political and horrible takes, I will follow you back. That's my only real uh, uh, obsession is that, uh, or my only real objection, I should say, is that uh, if, if, I, if you follow me and I look at your timeline and there's a whole bunch of really bad takes and like, bad political takes and bad video game takes and a lot of negativity, I'm not going to follow you back. Sorry. But if I feel like your content is entertaining and positive and, and, a, and a good thing, I'm, I'll, I'll follow you right back. So thank you everybody again as, uh, for listening and watching. We'll talk to you next week. 